Yo, before we jump into uh, today's episode, um, I just wanted to take a few seconds to um, give you a little bit of a, I guess, a warning or a, um, a preface um, before today's episode. Um, there are some things talked about that um, might be a trigger. Um, they might be there might be tough to to hear. Um, this might not be necessarily a the best episode to play around your children or kids or something like that. Um, so I just wanted to warn you before we jump in, um, because we, we talk about some pretty tough stuff, um, from Corey's story today. So I wanted to give you that warning before we jumped in, but here we go. Yo, what up? Welcome to Free Refills Podcast, where we come together as youth leaders to discuss the realities of leading in youth ministry. Our hope is that you leave refilled, refueled, and re-energized to carry on in youth ministry. I'm your host, Boss, almost forgot my name, coming to you from Indianapolis, Indiana. And I'm joined by my co-host, Nick. How's it going? And he's in Sparks, Nevada. Did I get it right? Yeah, you did that time. Fine. I got it right I mean, this time. Awesome. Here, yeah, whatever. We would have been joined by Dusty, but he's he's busy. He's got a lot going on, so he's not going to be with us this time. Um, but again, each month, as you know, we are joined by a special guest, and this time is a really really special guest because we have a staff member from the National Network of Youth Ministries with us, and his name is Corey Freeze. So, Corey, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Uh, Corey, uh, before we jump in uh, to a few other questions, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you located? Um, and tell us about your family and how long you have been in ministry. Well, I live in uh, Boise, Idaho. And um, I've got, uh, I've got uh, God gave me uh, an awesome wife in Melissa Freeze. We've been married for 25 years. Wow. Uh, we have four kids. Um, Colin, who is uh, 20. Camille, who would be 18. Corbin, who is 15. And Caitlin, who is nine. And uh, I've been in ministry since uh, 1995. So what is that? 20, 24 years, 25 years? Yeah. yeah. I'm not a math major, but sure. I've been That's married awesome. 25 years, so I know we took our first year off of ministry, so I, I'm going to say 24. Awesome. Nice. That's super cool. Um, Nick, you've got some questions. For yeah. Um, this is the Free Refills podcast, and we, we kind of go with that theme. And so the question for you and all of our guests to start is simply, what is your favorite soft drink and why? I am a Pepsi guy. I have always liked Pepsi. Um, I don't know why it's just been, I think maybe because of the, there was a Mexican restaurant in Cincinnati where I grew up that they serve Pepsi. So, uh, uh, that's, it's my drink. Nice. And, uh, the, the other question that I like to ask is just, um, as we are always learning in ministry and always trying to grow, um, what book are you in right now? And, and what are you learning from that? I am in the book of Ephesians actually right now. Um, and it's, I was listening to us or I was at, we were at church a couple weeks ago and, um, I, I have a pet peeve and that is, um, I want people to teach what the Bible says, not what they think it says. Mm-hmm. So, um, we were listening to a sermon and the guy said something. I'm like, I, I, I don't know about that. I, you know, it's not that. He didn't say something that was untrue. What he was speaking was truth, but I'm not sure that's what was in that passage. So hmm. I've been reading Ephesians, uh, listening to Ephesians, and just just trying to ask uh, our Lord. It's like, why, why did Paul write this? What was the purpose of it? Because when you get back towards chapter 4, 5, and 6, there's a bunch of uh, commandments. But uh, those commandments come after a bunch of, uh, promises, blessings, um, the fact that you were once far off, now you've been brought near. So uh, I think as I'm just trying to process through, okay, you know, what is it, 
what was Paul trying to say to the Ephesians? And then how do we take that into our context today? Yeah. Because uh, in, in Ephesus, there, from what I remember or understand, there was one church. Mm. So if you didn't get along with somebody, you really couldn't leave and go somewhere else. <laughs> but, sure. uh, you know, here in the United States, if uh, we're at a church and we don't like it, uh, we can, we can leave. And yeah. uh, I, I think we have to remember that when Paul's writing to this group of people, it's, this is a group of people that were gathering together as one, you know? Mm. And so uh, I'm just really trying to process through that right now. Mm, that's good. That's real good. Um, so Corey, we, uh, we're excited to have you. We're excited to have you uh, a part of this conversation to share uh, your story with us. And um, we are um, on the topic of God's redemption in our pain, in our story. Um, we, as a reminder, like we each month are going to have the same topic revolve around several conversations, uh, all for the hope that we can get a more, more fuller picture and have several different perspectives and, and stories uh, to give us a different glimpse of what that looks like um, from leaders across the country who are in youth ministry with us. And so, um, Corey, we're just really absolutely honored to have you with us to share um, and allow us to be in this with you um, because this is not this is not an easy topic. We don't have easy topics along the way, but this one is particularly uh, difficult because we're talking about a real big um, a pain moment and series of moments in our life. And so, um, Corey, can you um, share with us um, about about your story um, and and why and basically why we're we're sitting here um, and what brought us to have this conversation with you. Sure. Um, I, re I really want to start off by saying there is, there's no right or wrong way to process pain and suffering. There's healthy and unhealthy, but there's no right and no wrong. And that's I really, good. that's, I, I don't, I don't want to say that at the end. I want to say that at the beginning because uh, everybody processes pain and suffering differently. Mm. And so um, you, you need to process it. Yeah. And, uh, so, um, all right. I'm, my story is, is kind of where we're heading with this, right? Yes, sir. Um, so I had been, I had been working for a church uh, for seven years as their youth pastor and in March 2014, um, I need to stop saying, um, in March 2014, I walked into a meeting uh, that I was invited to, and there was two elders there, and they informed me that I would no longer be the youth pastor. I would no, no longer be working uh, at the church. Hmm. Uh, and this was a total surprise, caught off guard. Sure. Um, but not uncommon for this church to do things like this. Mm. And I will also say not uncommon for churches across the United States to do things like this. Yeah. Um, the, the biggest fear, well, the pain of rejection, the pain of being fired, the pain of doing something that I loved and, being involved in people's lives was ripped out from underneath me. Hmm. Uh, but I think even the bigger pain or the bigger struggle is that when you work for a church, that is your community. That yeah. is, that's everybody, you know. Yep. And so when I walked into this meeting, was told I would no longer be there. It's not just your job. It's your life really. Right. Yeah. And, and it was accompanied by, but you're more than welcome to stay and worship with us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so yeah. I was like, uh, no, I don't think so. Sure. But, uh, that, that kind of started a process of, um, uh, in my life as, as a man, just my job being pulled out from underneath me. Um, and my wife and I, well, both of us knowing that when something like this happens, something tragic like this happens, it's very vital that 
the couple uh, seek help because there's a lot of things that can happen when a guy loses his job. Sure. So we, yep. we started going to counseling, found a great counselor. Um, and then I was just trying to figure out what would be next because I had done youth ministry for 14 years and I was not ready to go work for a church, but when your resume says, what have you done for the past 14 years, says church and youth ministry, not a lot of businesses are interested in, in what you have to offer. So I really had to start figuring out how do I translate what I did in youth ministry into the business world. Right. Yep. Right. I uh, ended up painting houses, uh, delivering auto parts, finding odd jobs here and there, trying to make ends meet. My wife got a job. Hmm. And, uh, so it was pretty chaotic. Um, I was not in a good place because I was pissed. I was angry. I, I was um, disappointed that these people that said and preach grace and love would mm -hmm. treat me this way. So yeah. that, that was the beginning of, of this grief process, but um, un, unbeknownst, well, in, in the midst of this, our daughter was experiencing things. Our daughter was uh, 13 at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, so I got fired in March, 2014. Our daughter turned 13 in September of 2014. And then our daughter took her own life in November of 2014. And so what I thought was tragic in March then paled in comparison to the tragedy of losing our daughter uh, to suicide in, in uh, November of 2014. Um, the, the pain and anguish that, well, let me back up. That morning, uh, the morning that everything went down, basically I'd gotten up that morning around six o'clock to, to drive to a school I work at, which is about an hour away. I had gotten a job working at the school and uh, was driving out to the school and uh, as I pulled up, the secretary of the school ran out to my car to meet me, and she said, your wife's on the phone. There's been an accident. That's all I knew mm -hmm. at the time. And so I went into the assistant principal's office, took the phone call, and the police officers had told my wife not to say that my daughter had died. But I took the phone call, and Melissa just said, Camille's dead. You need to come home. And... Um, I remember pounding my fist on, on the desk uh, and, and just screaming, no. I must have screamed the words, no, 50, 60 times. Wow. And, uh, and actually, the, I actually didn't end up leaving that school for another four hours because it's, it's very rural and uh, the police car that is used for that county to, that was supposed to take me home, the battery had died so they couldn't get it started. And uh, so I had to wait for another ride to come and get me and, and take me back. And um, when I finally got back to my house on November 7th, uh, there were cars, um, friends, families, um, that were just comforting my wife and kids. And um, I just remember going in the door, finding my wife and falling to the ground and crying. Yeah. And uh, just in, in, in really in, in just disbelief. It's, it's such a weird feeling. Loss is a weird feeling. And you want to grab at loss, but it doesn't have a hand to grab you back. Mm. And uh, 
yeah, so that was that was the tragedy um, of tragedies for us. Yeah. So one of the things that you mentioned in there was when when you got let go from that position, you, you felt the loss of community. You felt the loss of the family that is the job for a lot of us that, and this is, this is everyone we know, this is every support group we have. And then to immediately have um, a bigger, deeper loss following that, uh, did, you, did you have a fear and a worry prior to going home and seeing those cars and those people around that, and who's going to be there for us? Um, was that even on your mind? What, what did that look like for you? You know, that's, that's a, a great question. And, you know, when I got fired, <laughs> Um, they, they actually offered me, they said, you can leave now, uh, or you can stay through, uh, May and we will pay you through May. And, uh, not only that, but we will pay your health insurance, uh, for another six months or something like that. I, I don't remember the details, but, um, so I made the decision to actually stay at that church for until the end of May. Mm-hmm. for my wife and kids um and we had community i mean we had community there i mean just because these uh, the the leadership chose to, to let me go that we still had people we had tons of community tons of people there i didn't want to go to church right away but my wife started going to another church um she had some friends and so she found comfort in going to this other church that she started to get involved in. And um, that fall in August, September, she had joined a community group at this other church. So there had been some relationship building at this other place. Mm-hmm. And um, I, you know, I actually had no, when, when you, go through loss, tragedy. I couldn't think, there, there was no thinking, I can say that, you know, it was just, um, it, it was just, I was numb. It was just, I, it's half unbelief, half what happened, half, what do we do, what is, what, where are we going? You know, so it wasn't, I wasn't thinking about who was going to be there. Um, but at the same time, and I would say this to anybody, you have to have, you know, I'll, can I throw this in there? This is a ministry principle that's huge. Yeah. You have to, whether you're a pastor, youth pastor, volunteer, you have to pour into relationships. Right. Mm-hmm prior it's it's the it's the the relational bank accounts that you're pouring into that when tragedy comes you experience the community and mm. i'd always tell my youth leaders it's like we do youth ministry because something's going to happen we don't know what it's going to happen something will mm. we pour into our students lives so that when that something happens we already have the relational collateral to engage in their lives. Wow. And so, you know, you, you, when you're, when we're doing youth ministry, it's, it is a job, but it is pouring, allowing God to pour into us so that we can pour into others because we know there's going to come a time when God does something. Now that, that one, something could be tragedy that one, that something could be glory, you know, and, and through the whole spectrum. So, um, so I showed up when I got to my house, um, my best friend was there and I recognized him. And then I walked through our front door. My wife was sitting on the couch and that's kind of where I went for the next couple hours, just next to her crying, people coming in and out. Um, praying, you know, you know, it was just, 
um, it was, we entered into a fog. It, it was this, just yep. this, this, I don't want to say darkness because it wasn't dark. It was just a fog, um, right. you know, and uh, you could say dark, a darkness set in because we just, we were just crushed, uh, crushed by this, this tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned about the fog. How long, how long, Corey, for you was that? Do you feel like that fog lasted? I mean, there might not have been, there might not have been a definitive moment where it's like the fog has been lifted, but like just in your personal story, how did, how long was that? Were you in that state of that fogginess? I think we were in the dense fog for two years. I think that the the hard or the challenging part for me was, okay, let, let me go back a little bit. The person to find our daughter was our youngest daughter, Caitlin, and she was four. Oh my. She went and got her brother who was nine. Mm. And then they went and got my wife. So I share that because I needed to realize my grief, my fog is going to be total those their fog because they had seen something that I did not see. And yep. their experience, their grief, their processing was going to be different than my processing. Um, the other one was I'll, and our older son came home later that day. His processing is going to be different. The, the thing for me was that as a dad, I have, even though I've lost a daughter, I still have a wife and three kids that need to process this. Mm. So that, if I could say there was saving grace in there, the, the grace of God by not allowing me to see my daughter probably helped. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, that there is no time frame for grieving. Um, and if I could be blunt and speak to anybody out there that thinks somebody should get over it, um, you're foolish. You're foolish to think it's something you get over. Uh, we, m my wife had somebody say to her about eight months after Camille died, well, aren't you over this yet? Wow. And wow. Yeah. So uh, as followers of Christ, we need to be wise on how we speak to those in grief. Right. Please speak freely. You know, one thing is, is, yeah, we want people to speak to us. We needed people to talk to us. Absolutely. At the same time, um, there is no time frame. And, right. you know, how long it was going to take my wife to process, my sons to process, my, how does a four-year-old process grief? Right. These were all, you know. But uh, I would say those things didn't even come up until two, three months afterwards. We, we just were in a deep fog for a month. Yeah. So you, you bring up, you said a few things that kind of have, have swirled, just kind of stand out to me. Um, you had mentioned about how, you're reaching for a hand and it, the hand isn't there. You're trying to grab a hold of it. And it kind of plays into this, that feeling of, well, aren't you over it? And you're like, I'm still grabbing for it. I'm still looking for it. So like, I can't, there's nothing to grab onto and I'm searching for it. 
that that just kind of that was in my mind as you as you kind of described that of that's maybe that's why we we can't get over it i think also from from my personal experience like when you for those of us who haven't experienced you know grief in this way it it is a it is such an abstract thing for us our brains to try to wrap around like there's no finish line there's no like you go through this sort of thing and it's been described to me for pain and for for grief and loss that it's more there's the the theory or the concept that it's you know it's a ball that's bouncing in a box and there's a pain point that's a button on the on one of the walls and at some point it hits it and so then you experience it again. It's just the ball gets smaller and larger as time goes on and different things cause it to hit that button at times and have those pain points along the way. So for you and, and your wife's journey too, as your, as your, as the father, you're, a, a, you've lost a leadership role. You've experienced loss in your personal family and now you're going, now I got to figure, now what, right? You're probably trying to make sense of God going, what are you doing? Like, what is happening? You're in this fog. It's two years and you start to see it lifted at some point and you're coming out of it. What was that experience like coming? What were some of the things that you were like, maybe we're kind of coming out of the fog, not that you're belittling what you're experiencing, but you're you're coming out of that fog. What is that like for you? Yeah. The, I, I think a similar experience that people go through in grief, a friend of mine who had lost his uh, son to an accident shared with me that in the beginning, the waves that hit you are huge. You're constantly getting hit by huge waves that knock you down. Um, for example, um, probably within the first month we we went shopping at a craft store and uh, we're walking through the craft store and every not every night but i tried to uh, try to sing my daughters and sons to sleep and i would sing uh, you are my sunshine my only sunshine i'm not going to sing it but um yeah. so we're walking through this craft store and there's a a wooden craft sign that says you are my sunshine mm. and boom you know the wave hit and I'm standing in the midst of this craft store bawling. And uh, that's normal. You know, and these waves can hit any time at any moment. And right. so within those first, first year, those waves are huge. And they hit hard. And it, it, it could be something very small that you don't know that it's going to trigger you. And boom, it triggers you. And you're just bawling. And... Uh, but I think as time passes by, those waves reduce in size and reduce in frequency. And your, or I would say, Melissa and I started to learn how do we deal with the waves? They're coming, they're going to come but how do we deal with them? I, I do want to share this because I think this is important. One of the key foundational principles of my walk with Christ is that God is faithful, period, exclamation point. So yeah. I, I don't, I'm not saying that to, it didn't make it easy. I'm just saying there, right. there's little strings that you grab onto any little thing that you can grab onto in the midst of, of grief and tragedy, you, you grasp. Right. And, um, you know, there, there's a lot of things I don't know, but the one thing, you know, the one thing I do know is he is right. faithful. Not, not only he's faithful to himself, he's mm -hmm. faithful to his character. Uh, yes. He's faithful to his goodness, his righteousness, his holiness. He's goodness to his, He's faithful to his forgiveness, his gentleness. His, he's just all these faithfulness things that, of our Lord come out in this. 
And the, the beauty of seeing his faithfulness, and I mentioned this earlier, but how does a four-year-old process this? Well, we found a counselor in Boise that does play therapy. And I asked this gal, I'm like, how do you know that my four-year-old is processing this? So she goes, oh, very easily. Um, every time we play, there's somebody that dies. Okay. Wow. And so I'm like, okay, then what? She goes, well, we just see where this goes, you know? And we let her tell her story through play. Hmm. And eventually, six to 12 months later, every once in a while, somebody didn't die. Hmm. And so now we knew that at the same time, we knew that she'd have to verbally process it later. But at right. that time, right. um, so, you know, we're talking about waves and fog. It, it's you at the moment on, on, on November 7th, 2014, the, yeah, I would, I would not say that, I was going to recover. I would like, this is going to, this is too, too much. Right. 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 This, this is going to destroy us. Um, death of a, of a son or daughter destroys marriages. Suicides are just so unanswerable to all the questions. And, uh, but I knew God was faithful. Mm. And so yeah. as the, and, and again, I also had, my wife had people in her life and I had people in my life that would call and text and how are you doing and what's going on? And, you know, again, it's so huge to have that, those relationships that, that come alongside of you in time of need. Right. Um, one of the things I just, I heard in that, that I just, I hope somebody hears this, that those waves are going to come and that's normal. I think for those of us who haven't experienced something like this yet um, to know when you go through the grieving that there might be something as small as a sign in a store. There might be something as small as hearing a song and that triggers so much of that emotion coming back. And that's normal. Don't run from that. Um, I, I think Embrace that's it. exactly um, for me. I'm getting emotional during this because uh, my my first year in ministry, I had a 13-year-old student commit suicide as well. And um, I was asked to do the, the memorial. That was the first memorial I ever did. Mm. And I remember going to 2 Corinthians um, because it was honestly, I Googled verses for memorial because I, I didn't know what to do. I was completely lost because it, it's my student. I loved her. I cared for her. Um, and I'm, I'm a 24, 25 year old kid trying to put this together. But I go back to this time and time again. Second um, Corinthians one, three through five says all praise to God, the father, our Lord, Jesus Christ. God is our merciful father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others when they are troubled. We will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us for the more we suffer for Christ the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Um, and I, I think that's really kind of the heart of what we're talking about in this right now is I've experienced a piece of this being a, a youth pastor that had a student go through this nowhere near to the level of you being a father going through this. Um, but we, we have pieces of comfort that we've gotten through Christ and we get to see that redeemed as we walk through this with others and share that comfort with others. I, I'm curious to know over, over the last few years, how have you seen that play out? Where have you seen God use you and your experience to help others in their experiences? Yeah, it's the verse is so true. Um, I'd say if somebody is going through tragedy, don't quote that verse to them. Um, but it's true. The, the, you know, it's amazing. The comfort, the comfort that, that I think that's talking about is when I see people going through pain now, 
I don't try to fix it. Mm. I, I know the comfort is God will get you through. God will get you through. I don't know what that looks like. I, I don't know how long it'll take, but the comfort is that he is with you. Uh, you know, I keep thinking of, uh, he, he is with you. He's called you by name. It's his very presence that is comforting. Now, when somebody first goes through a tragedy like that, um, they, they don't want to hear that because, I mean, right. I, I, was, I was thinking when you, when you shared that, I was thinking, man, if you would have said that to me, oh yeah, uh, like the week or month after Camille died, I would have said, I would have been like, that's a bunch of BS. <laughs> time, you know, it's so many amazing things. Let me, let me try to formulate a couple amazing things that had happened. Um, so Camille had gone to a, a summer camp that summer and she had a leader that was very engaging in her life and saying, I know that she loved Jesus and Jesus loved her. That's huge. You know, that's comforting. Absolutely. That, you know, and so, um, but even, even as, as, even as recently as uh, six months ago, um, I had a conversation with a guy and he goes, you know, you, you might not know this, but um, my wife and your wife were friends. And when Camille died, we went to the funeral and I really wasn't following Jesus. But when I went to that funeral and I saw Jesus there, it changed my life. And I started following Jesus. Wow. And so you know, in, at the time in 2014, it's like, God used this for good. God used this for your glory. At the same time, I'd rather you pick somebody else. Mm -hmm. um, but here we are five, six years down the road. And, you know, there's still stories that people are saying that was a moment in my life. That was a definitive moment in my life and my walk with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it was, I got to tell you this, this is, so her, I, 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 I I'm going to go back, but the, you just talk about God orchestrating things. So her funeral was a week later. It was on a Friday. And if you ask me, why did we pick that day? I, I don't know. I was actually on drugs because I couldn't function. So mm. other people were making these decisions on when, where, how, who, and that kind of stuff. So, right. so her funeral was on a Friday students were upset because they really wanted to get out of school to go visit or to be at the funeral. Well, that night, November 14th, November 13th, and granted, I live in Boise, rarely does it ever snow before December. That night, it snowed six inches. Oh, wow. Okay. School was canceled the next day. There were so many people that came to her funeral. They they couldn't even get in the church, you know, mm. and just a, a little thing like that, that, that Camille's friends got to come to her funeral, you know, uh, even just standing by her grave, uh, by her burial site, it was me and Melissa and Camille's friends, you know, so, you know, I don't know if we want to cut that and put it somewhere else in here, but that. Mm that's just huge. You know, those yeah. are, you know, and you know, you think about these things and we call them uh, memorial stones, you know, when, when uh, Joshua took the people, is that right? Am I getting this right? Did Joshua take people over across the river and they planted yes. stones? Might be somebody else. But you got to remember the memorial stones, you mm -hmm. know? And um, so mm. even, you know, even Camille's friends, uh, she she has one of her friends that gives that puts flowers at her grave on her birthday every year. Wow! And okay. uh, you know, so it's those, I mean, those are just some things that we've been able to see. Um, I think the I think also the fruit is my wife and I are a lot more gracious when it comes to just humanity. And we, we for me, I just. I, 
I don't know everything. <laughs> and I, I don't claim to know everything. That's good. I, Corey, I, it's those types of moments that, that we need to hear um, because there's, there's, those are private moments. Those are moments that we, we don't get to experience. We don't have the privilege of walking with you and seeing those moments um, because it's not happening to us. And so, but it's encouraging to hear. It's encouraging for me. It's encouraging. I could, I'll, I'll just speak for Nick as well. It's encouraging for mm-hmm. him because it's those types of things that we hear that God's working, God's moving, God's, God's still in the middle of it all. And he hasn't forgotten about us. Even those moments where we feel like God's forgotten about us and we don't know where God's at. We can't see him because we're in that fog. Um, that's extremely encouraging that along the way that you're seeing little bits, like you said, memorial stones of, okay, these are moments that I'm not going to forget because I can point back to it and go, nope, God's still there. God's still there. He showed up here. He showed up here and might, might've been little ways, but they were still significant. And I do want to, I don't want to brush over this moment, but we did, I, Nick, you got emotional. Corey, you got emotional. These, this was another wave. This was another wave that surprised, I think, Nick as well. It just kind of hit us. And um, I think that if, if anybody's listening to this and you're going, what does this look like? Well, here was, here was one of those moments. And um, so, can Corey, I, can, I share another, can I share another moment? Go just, for it, please. It, it sparked. So one of the things that we did at our funeral is we released pink balloons. Well, one of my good friends and his wife were in uh, New York at the time. They couldn't be at their funeral, but because of social media, they posted on their social media site, mm-hmm. them in the middle of Times Square, releasing two pink balloons. Oh, that's um, cool. The summer of 2013, my son and I had gone on a mission trip to Ukraine. And uh, there was about five or six people that we had met over in Ukraine that were on social media letting off pink balloons. And uh, it, it just was amazing just to see the, the community of Christ. I, I, in tragedy, the community of Christ, Christ's body came, showed up, participated in, in, in our lives. And it was so beautiful. Uh, one of the things about experiencing tragedies you you do realize that people forget people you know people start forgetting that your daughter died you know but uh about i think it was a year or two ago uh, i had a friend and his wife and they were i can't they were just at their house and they said hey we're we're gonna let off some pink balloons the the biggest thing you can do for somebody in tragedy is remember them put a reminder in your phone uh, maybe even while you're at the, at the funeral or the day after, put a reminder in your phone for a month away, six months away, a year and a half away, just to remind yourself to reach out in some way to the person who's gone through the tragedy. The, the biggest thing for Melissa and I is if you remember Camille, that blesses us. So anytime that anybody would reach out and say, hey, we just remember Camille, we're just like, thank you when you think everybody's forgotten that you're reminded that they haven't, you know, when, and when I'm reminded that people haven't forgotten about Camille, that's the biggest thing for us is we just don't want her to be forgotten. Yeah. I I think the more and more I step into loss with people, that is such a common thing said is just, just say something where most people are afraid to, bring those emotions up, bring that wave into your life. And, and we're starving for people just to say, I remember her and, yeah. and I miss her. Well, and it's That's okay huge. for, you know, if you don't know what to say, go up to the person and say, Hey, I don't know what to say, but I want to say something. You know, it could be as easy as that. I think we don't say things because we don't know what to say, but the grace that we can give is, Hey, I'm thinking about such and such or so and so or whatever. I'm thinking about it. 
I want to say something, but I don't want to hurt your feelings, but I want to say something. And those, those are the blessings. Um, Camille has a friend that uh, uh, she was working at the Albertsons that's around the corner from our house. So every time we go into Albertsons, we see this friend over the past year. And I would just make a point to go up there and say, how are you doing? You know, hey, it's good to see you. And uh, even though when I saw her, it triggered me that she, this girl is 18, going to graduate from high school. My daughter would have been 18 and would be graduating from high school. I, I knew that that trigger was there, but, you know, I, I wanted to bless her. That's so good. Corey, you've said, you've said things along the way of very practical ways for um for those of us who are on who are not walking through grief who are not walking through pain and loss and how to respond to um people in our community people that are our friends people that are our family um those are incredible things that and incredible insight because for those of us who have not experienced that we wouldn't know that until we experience it and we don't want people to experience it. So thank you for sharing those um, because I think we will all be better because of that, where we'll be able to, um, you know, we're not going to try and grab a, a, a scripture or a saying or a quote or something like that and deliver that right away. And, and because sometimes that comes out of good intentions, but it can, it can hurt at times because in those moments you're like, that's not helpful. I actually just need you to sit with me and just be, just sit next to me. And that's it. And along and several other things that you've shared, I'm just grateful that you've said those. Um, Corey, um, this has been a great conversation and um, these moments of redemption and moments of, of, of God being present um, where you can look back fondly at them is super helpful and encouraging in many ways and i know it'll be encouraging for for our listeners and for the people and the youth leaders around the country that are listening to this um Corey, if there is um maybe there's something that was said um that maybe some people want to connect with you how how would they connect with you well uh, they can always text me or call me um my phone number is 208-484-7177. Perfect. You could probably find it on the web, you know. Uh, you can email me at cfreeze, that's C-F-R-E-E-S-E, at nnym.org. Um, you know, those are probably the t two best ways to connect with me. Um, I, you know, and I'm a resource to, to anybody that, that needs help. One of the one of the amazing things is that after about an, a year and a half, we started getting phone calls uh, from people around the nation, um, mainly because I lived in Ohio and my wife lived in some different places too, but we started getting phone calls like, hey, I see this in my son or I see this in my daughter or hey, my friend's going through this or this happened. You know, we're, we're totally open to being a resource and a place, a safe place for people to to inquire about this kind of stuff because um, one, death is difficult and two, suicide is not uh, always, uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Suicide is, I don't know. I don't know if there's People don't want to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Taboo, I don't know, but no, but uh, Again, I think, you know, mental, mental health, mental illness is, uh, you know, just something that we need to be aware of, um, you know, in my state, in the state of Idaho, the death rate of teens by suicide has gone up. And so it, it's, it's an issue. It's really uh, something that needs to be addressed. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm always down for somebody calling or emailing. I mean, if you email me, I might not get back to you right away. Sorry, but uh, sure. text is always a good way to reach out to me. Yeah. 
Well, Corey, thank you for that. And thank you for this conversation. Again, it's just been an absolute honor to sit here and um, have the freedom to ask you questions on how we can learn and grow um, together as a community, as youth leaders, um, and be encouraged by this. Um, because there are moments like this that um, we need to hear from other people about their experiences because there is maybe something we're going to go through. Maybe we're not going through it right now but we're going to go through it at some point and one day we'll come back and be like, Oh, I remember that Corey said this and this was helpful. And so thank you. And I just want, I just want to call it out and affirm it that this is a moment of redemption, that this is a moment where God is using it and we will hear stories um, in the future or at some point about this moment and this conversation and how it's helped someone else in their journey. So thank you. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. My, my pleasure. That was a powerful testimony Corey gave to us um, about God working and bringing a redemption in his personal pain and in his family's life. Um, our story may not have the same elements as Corey's, but what is the same is that God's presence and work is uh, continuous. It's happening all the time. We may not be able to see it, um, but God wants us to use our story to further his kingdom. I invite you to do some reflection of your own story, and then share it with someone. You never know how it can bless another person or alter the trajectory of their life. And speaking of that, we benefit and grow in community as leaders. Believe it or not, there are youth workers in your area who want to be in community with you. If you haven't connected with youth leaders in your area, we have a way for you to find them. So go to our website, nnym.org, to search your area today. And also, if there was something that was said today that resonated with you to reach out to Corey, all of his contact info is present in the show notes of this episode. Also, if you are in Idaho or know a youth worker in Idaho, reach out to Corey. He would love to connect with you personally. And we won't want this podcast to be a free refill for you, the youth worker. Our hope and our prayer for you is that this conversation encouraged you to realize that you are not alone in this. We want to hear from you because we also know that you have a lot to say. So write to us at freerefillspodcast at nnym.org. And if you were encouraged by this episode, help us grow this community by sharing, rating, or leaving a review. It helps this show be seen when people search for podcasts about youth ministry. And as we leave, remember, the more we pour into ourselves, the more we can pour out to others. Blessings. Blessings.